Hello and welcome to the Scottish Football Show. Fan ban? Are Celtic and Rangers harming the Scottish game? We discuss that mountain Steve Clark's men have to climb to reach Europe 2024, starting with Cyprus Hell. And fans have the hump with Hamden ahead of next month's Scottish Cup semi-finals. Are we ever happy in this country? Welcome one and all, I am your host Andrew Slavin and joining me for this week's episode of the Scottish Football Show he's the man with a tartan dream from Aberdeen it's Sky Sports Anthony Joseph Hello pal Hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm very well mate, very well You got your tartan pants on this week? Not this week, they're in the wash Ready, <laughs> ready, ready for the big week <laughs> the, Yes, good man, good man, not the whitewash I hope uh, and it's the Paisley punter from Down Under, but professionally he's a football filmmaker and an editor, but whatever. It's Friendly Marks! <laughs> Hello, mate! Hey, how you doing? I, I very much enjoyed the little Cypress Hill uh, nod in the in the intro there. It's, it's all, always a, a good thing to be reminded of them. A little bit of insane in the membrane. <laughs> it could be... Uh bursting blood vessels after this weekend I don't know hopefully not um, how how have you both been I mean Anthony it's been a while since you've been on the show pal what have you been up to I'm much really just working away fatherhood the same probably the same with you guys as well is it it kind of is a theme with this podcast uh, Finn <laughs> talking about how big the bags under his eyes are getting me uh, <laughs> looking like I'm getting a bit more sleep than most but yeah we always start this show with uh, a few funnies, and I'll kick things off by uh, Anthony, very funny on Sky Sports and their coverage of the Motherwell Rangers game. And after 13 minutes, uh, is this is this cheeky from Motherwell? Have, have they only stuck one match ball under uh, onto the pitch because they lost it very quickly? And you saw Radvan Yilmaz trying to find it under. Was that a TV gantry or something like that? It was just the ball got lost. It was something like that. It was some like scaffolding that was covered, or who knows what it was actually. But it was the ball boys couldn't couldn't reach that one ball that they were looking for because they were um, trying hard. <laughs> they were, <laughs> and you you saw one at the end just sort of shrugging his shoulders, going, <laughs> "Can't get it." And I, the whole time I was thinking, "Why do they not have other balls on them? Is it deliberate? Uh, were they just playing with one match ball? It was so similar to." When you're a kid and the ball gets kicked over, kicked over a fence, and uh, you're having to wait, the, the game's paused until someone goes round and knocks on someone's <laughs> door to go and get out the back garden, that kind of thing. Out of school football, it was uh, yeah, quite bizarre the whole thing. I think it's quite a common thing, isn't it? If people are hosting one side of the old firm uh, to to kind of be a, a bit sparse with the balls around the side of the pitch, just to slow the tempo down a little bit. But, you know, I've not got a massive problem with it. I remember, uh, was it Roman Domenech? He was the... Oh, with the eyebrows. Roman Domenech, the uh, French coach. Yeah, but when (laughs) it was either... I I think it was the the match in Hamden where Gary Caldwell scored the winner and he went off and won about how bad the ball boys were and that was basically why France lost that day. Um, I seem to remember that that, that being a thing. So you, you can need to use the tools at your disposal. The funniest thing for me, though, was that how much it brought into 
stark realisation how tiny Yilmaz is. <laughs> like, he looked like one of the ball boys <laughs> just wearing a Rangers kit. That was the funniest thing to me. Very true. Very true. It was 1-0 to Motherwell, and it didn't work out in the end. But there you go. A bit more closer to home for you, Anthony, as well. I spotted you've had a you've had a visitor in Aberdeen, particularly in Pataudry. Have you seen the the famous wrestling uh, legend Hacksaw Jim Duggan has paid his visit uh, to the famous Pataudry? I did see it. Um, Are you I'm, a wrestling fan? I'm absolutely not a wrestling fan, and I never oh, was. But I my, find this amazing. My, my mate, my mate, so quite a few of them were big wrestling fans when we were like teenagers and younger than that as well and I just never got into it especially when I re- found out that it was fake um, so it was... what? <laughs> whoa 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 what? But I just never got into it but I, I mean I saw this picture and I saw a few people getting excited about it and um, it just uh, yeah it humoured me my only uh, connection to wrestling is that I now seem to be followed by John Cena but so does Half of Scottish <laughs> football journalism and <laughs> politics at the moment. Well, um, one th- I, I found it funny, you know, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, he was legendary in the late 80s, early 90s, probably the last time Aberdeen had their heyday. But there you go. Famous for uh, two by four, swapping out for the Granite City. Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. I should have said, Finn, did you, did you like wrestling? Uh, no, I'm I'm with Anthony. I, I, oh, I, Christ. I well, stop never... there. We'll move on. <laughs> right. Look, uh, some news now to talk about. And I'm going to start with, um, you know, stuff that's happening next month. I'd like to hear your take on this. So the Scottish FA Cup semi-finals, Falkirk v Inverness on the 29th of April, and then that's followed by Celtic v Rangers the next day. There's an issue here with fans and ticket prices again. Both games have different kickoff times. Uh, Falkirk and Inverness kicking off at 12.15. But the thing is, it's 38 quid for a ticket on the north and south stands. The cheapest is 28 for East and West. Do you think this is unfair for Inverness and Falkirk fans, considering it's a 12-15 kickoff? They've got a sizable journey compared to like of Celtic and Rangers fans, the ones that live in Glasgow at least anyway. But yeah, do you think this is unfair, Finn? Personally, I think I do, yeah. But it, it's also kind of just this it's what football is. Like that's this kind of the going rate, you know, it's it's a it's a semi-final of a national competition it's just it's slightly unfair I guess especially considering the, the travel implications for, for both of these sets of fans for me I think it feeds into a slightly bigger question and this came up when we were talking about the semi-finals and the final round about the League Cup um, earlier in the season and I don't really understand why regardless of, of who makes it there both semi-finals and the final are at Hamden and they're played a day after each other. That it, it just makes no sense. In in no other ground in the country really do you have two elite level games, let alone semi-finals of a national competition going on less than 24 hours after each other or very close to 24 hours after each other. It just it it doesn't make any sense for the spectacle on the pitch for me at all. And I think that there has to be a review of it at some point because to me it makes much more sense rather than potentially having a not full national stadium for a semi-final between two groups of um, supporters like Cali Thistle fans and Falkirk fans they can't just generate more fans overnight like they, they have a specific size of fan base it makes much more sense holding these matches at a neutral venue that's much closer geographically I think to, to the two of them 
So I, I don't know why, for example, you know, you take this match to Tanadice or something, it's a much easier distance for both sets of fans to get to. You would have a completely sold out stadium. I, it, and it means that whatever pitch the, the other semi-final is played on, if it is Rangers Celtic, Hamden is the obvious choice just because of the size of venue and the locale of it. Um, but if it were a, another neutral venue there, it means that the pitch is in the best possible condition for both games. And that, to me, makes for the best possible set of circumstances for the best game of football. Hopefully then you get the best two semi-finals. It just, it, to me, that's common sense. I don't understand it. Do you think there's an issue with semi-finals being at Hampton or or is this more of a just a Scottish issue, Scottish fan issue that always tries to look for the negative with the SFA? I think I, th- I think there's merit in both of those points there, but I think I think I completely agree with Finn on the venues side of things. I I wouldn't necessarily scrap Hamden as a venue for semi-finals. Um you've got to understand why the SFA do they do rely on these semi-finals and finals being at Hamden? It brings in a lot of money for them. Um, got to take into account sponsors and the amount of hospitality that they can sell. Yeah. Um, for what are showpiece events? Yeah. Um, even at semi-final level. So, uh, I think a perfect scenario would be to see which teams are in the semis before deciding on the venues. Like Finn said. I'll always remember the year of the Commonwealth Games uh, was in Gla- when it was in Glasgow, 2014. The semi-finals and the finals uh, were not at Hamden. And I was working at Tynecastle for Aberdeen St. Johnson. It was packed out, predominantly Aberdeen fans, but it was packed out. And the atmosphere was amazing. The game was so intense. It was frantic. It was, I know Aberdeen destroyed them, but it was still, it played at such a good pace and they were feeding off the fans uh, in the stands. And it was just a great occasion for everyone involved. And exactly. I mean, I don't think it is going to change, but I would like to see it happen. And and like, I think Finn used the right wording there. Just put it under review. It doesn't we don't we don't need to know where the semi-finals are going to be before the start of a season. It's common sense. Try and make Scottish football look as good as it can be, and show showcase it for what it is. But I do understand the SFA's point of view, and they want the money. I just think for the for the fans and for the game as a spectacle, I think it would be much better to review it and wait to see who's in the semi-finals before deciding whether you put it at Tynecastle, Easter Road, Tanadice, or Hamden. I guess that's kind of what we're ultimately asking for, and it depends where your priorities lie. Because I think you can't just demand it be one way or the other. And I think that's why it needs to be a conversation. But I think us as fans, we're asking the question, but but where in the pecking order do the fans come? Because I think, I, I'm, I'm only speaking from a personal point of view, fan experience and selling our game as best as possible are the two biggest things for me regarding Scottish football. And I think it's the two things that, that so often get pushed so far down the pecking order. Uh-huh. In, in favour of a quick buck or really poor contractual obligations that we've kind of locked ourselves into often for years at a time. The 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 semi-final for the League Cup final was the, the one that was played on the second day. The pitch was an absolute potato field. Like, you just... I, I, don't, I don't know. And if you're a neutral tuning in for, well, there's nothing else on. Oh, look, the Scottish League Cup semi-finals on, on the Sunday. If, if you're just seeing that and it's like the pitch is cut up like a like a paddy field and nobody can string two passes together, it's all hoofball in the air. 
why on earth would that get a neutral into the game? Because they're not going to tune in for league games. They will tune in more likely for one-off semi-finals or finals or whatever. I just, to me, it doesn't make any sense. So it kind of does down making our game the best possible spectacle and it also puts fans down, which kind of seems to be a common theme, unfortunately, when a lot of these decisions get made at the top of the game. Speaking of, you know, communication to fans, it's frustrating and odd um, as a neutral to to see that there's now going to be again, um, we will see in probably the country's flagship fixture, Celtic and Rangers fans at away games in the final two Celtic and Rangers games of the season in the league at least, there will be no fans at Celtic Park or at Ibrooks. And um, you brought this up in a tweet earlier this uh, in the week, Anthony. Just explain what what is the scenario and why are we here? Going all the way back, Celtic and Rangers used to give each other seven to eight thousand away tickets. Celtic fans would get the whole Broomloan stand um, at Ibrox, and Rangers fans would get half of the Lisbon Lions stand, upper and lower tier, and the usual away corner as well. And that was both clubs recognised that this was a special game. It was a spectacle that was viewed across the globe, not necessarily for the football because of the atmosphere, because of the fierce rivalry and the raw rivalry that exists, um, which is not always healthy, but certainly it's it's intriguing for people to watch outside of Scotland. Um, it's one of those games that brings people to their TV screens to watch it. However, in 2018, that all changed. The summer of 2018, I, uh, many Rangers fans weren't happy at the way Celtic and their fans, I guess, were milking the occasion so Ibrox after their wins which were quite regular in that period of time so Rangers cut Celtic's allocation to 800 and Celtic followed Rangers housed Celtic fans in their usual away corner and Celtic uh, did the same they've sort of been on this standoff together for quite some time now I know there was the Covid season when there was no fans at all but neither side has has thought well Come on, this is silly. Let's let's bring it back to 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 what it is. Because do you know what? I speak to people, not Celtic and Rangers fans, not Scottish football fans, but people who would always watch Celtic against Rangers, and they're the ones saying that this as a spectacle, it's not great. It's just like a normal game. Yes, it, there's it's quite it's really blooded. There's the atmospheres are still good, but if the away teams tune all up, the, the, the other stadium's empty. The majority of Celtic fans, a large majority of Celtic fans, um, want it back. Want the traditional away support back. They want seven to eight thousand Rangers fans back at Celtic Park because they want to have the chance to be to go to Ibrox and support their team. There's also this other option that I, I spoke to a few Rangers season ticket holders who go to games regularly as well. In their view, Rangers fans don't want the traditional seven to eight thousand back. They want what they give big European away teams so it's like 2.5 thousand I don't know if you've seen how how Dortmund had it so they had half of the Broomloan stand plus the away corner this game is still one of the most viewed football matches as an individual fixture across the globe it's still one of Sky's biggest games and if the majority of the fans that go to these games are saying they don't they don't want it to 800 that it seems to be that they want it either at, back to the traditional 7 to 8 thousand or uh, reduced, but more of a European away support. They want they want that spectacle back. 
and they feed off each other, I guess, the supporters. I totally accept your point because from a television point of view, it's massive to just tell the story if the away team has won. You know, that, that, that team goes over to that away support and you want to show that. Look at the support that has came along to support their team, even though they're in the minority. That's that's how you tell a story. And it's way better doing that rather than looking at a bunch of empty seats. But the, there was the, the two teams were in discussions to try and not barter a deal, but, but they just they brought it down to, was it safety concerns? That was all it was. And it seems a bit vague, really, doesn't it? My understanding of that is that Celtic would like it to go back to the traditional seven to 8,000. Celtic still sell their season tickets as if Rangers get seven to 8,000. So people in that that side of the Lisbon Lions stand, they buy their season tickets and it excludes Rangers games. And so then when the Rangers games come up, they can buy their ticket for their seat currently because there's only 800. But the issue is Rangers have now started because they've had an increase of season ticket sales over the last few years. They've got their ultras group now in the Broomlone stand, the the Union Bears, and they've also sold season tickets in that stand that include Celtic games. So it's going to be more of a logistical issue for Rangers to do that. But what a lot of Rangers season ticket holders have been telling me is that there would still be enough to do it in a European way, like they gave Dortmund half the stand and uh, the, the usual away section. So there's a lot to... They still seem to be at a standoff. Yes, Celtic might have made the initial approach to say, let's let's try and get this back. But, I mean, they've, they've gone from 800 to zero. So uh, there doesn't seem to be any negotiating going on. Um, it's, it's very much all or nothing or fine, we won't give you any tickets then. That seems to be what the situation is at the moment. And I, I personally feel Scottish football is what's suffering from it. So both clubs are suffering from it, and Scottish football is. I agree, Finn. The thing that you kind of have to you have to call a spade a spade. I think we both know that both clubs are not really fans of each other, right? Okay, they, yep. They're they're starting from a place of animosity, I think, with each other, regardless of at boardroom level how professional those people are or want to be. They have to take into consideration the feelings of their supporter bases and seem to be need to be seen to be looking after that kind of thing. I think a couple of points you made are absolutely brilliant, Anthony, and they were actually ones I was I was wanting to bring up as well if if the conversation hadn't gone that way. I, I, you also you have to look at the practicalities of it. So in terms of stadium capacity, Ibrox is pr- pretty much ten thousand seats fewer than Celtic Park. So I I don't think it's really feasible to to kind of suggest that we we just go back to seven thousand eight thousand away seats because as a proportion of the stadium, um, you, 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 I think it's too big a proportion of the stadium to give away, especially when Rangers have now over forty five thousand season ticket holders, um, and I, I, again to me I, I can only speak from from my own point of view. I don't think it's fair that any season ticket holder at any club should be expected to fork out thousands you know, hundreds or thousands for a season ticket, but then be expected, depending on where they are in the stadium, to potentially sacrifice that for arguably the biggest game of the season or the couple of biggest games of the season. I don't think that's fair. I think if you buy a season ticket, you should expect to have a seat for every home game uh, in the league. 
in terms of the sheer capacity, I don't think I don't think seven thousand works. But I completely, completely agree uh, that it is diluted more now as a spectacle because we don't have sizable away supports at either stadium. To me, the fairest compromise I think is to look at the the, the UEFA example. So UEFA mandates that every away support is entitled to 5% of the seats within a stadium. So at Ibrox, that means right round about two, I think it's 2,450 seats or something for an away match. And I, I think that's a fair compromise. You look at um, the games at Ibrox where, where that allocation has been taken up fully. One of the games that sticks out in my mind was um, one of the first seasons Rangers made it to the, the Europa League group stage after Steven Gerrard came in and it was the home game against I think it was Rapid Vienna and they, they took the full allocation so they have the whole away section and, and it spills into part of the Brumlon stand and the atmosphere was unbelievable like it was bouncing it was rocking and you're like oh my goodness this is I, I you get the blood going the goosebumps going you're like this is what it is I would love that to return it's that energy isn't for, it for all friend games at Ibrox and, and likewise at Celtic Park like I think it, yeah. it, it's diminished but also, like it, from the spectacle point of view, one of the things that I, I love to see, I mean, I hate to see it, but like if Celtic scored in at the Broomlone Road end and they've got most of that stand, like the stand went crazy and it's like jumping and the ball goes in, you see like all these things. Conversely, and I'm speaking from a Rangers fan point of view here, I remember when, um, was it Samaras had his penalty saved by Alan McGregor in, in the league title running in, was it 2011? And, you know, all the Celtic fans were, you know, expecting, willing the ball to go into the net. McGregor makes the save and then they all sit down and then you hear the noise going around the stadium of McGregor having saved the penalty. And it's like that. Those are the moments where, as a fan, it's incredible. It's palpable. And even though I wasn't in the stadium for that game, I could feel that energy coming through the TV. And that's the thing that sells the game. That's really what we're missing. Exactly what you're talking about, Anthony. It doesn't mean that there can't be good home atmospheres, but you're missing out on the spectacle of that rivalry. And that's one of the most brilliant things about the fixture. It's one of those reasons that almost everybody else in Scottish football sometimes looks at certain Rangers and goes, Oh, for God's sake. Like, there's just no respect there at all for, for each other. It, it comes full circle to what we were talking about right at the top of this news section about the about the considerations for the, the Falkirk and Cali Sissel fans as well, though. Like, it's... it's They'd love to have this problem, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it all feeds into this, this idea of, like, we just... We cut off our nose, I think, so much despite our face uh, in so many ways around Scottish football. And... It it just kind of really depresses me at points when when there's just not an adult conversation and consideration to all these different things. It 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 not everybody has to get their way the whole time. We know that's not possible, but it's in with any of these issues, whether it's um, ticket allocations or whether it's um, a venue for for a cup final or something like disabled seating or whatever it is. Fans just want to know that they're being heard. And they want to see their club take their issues seriously rather than just being fobbed off or or being cessated with 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 a, a a watered down it's not even a compromise at some points it's just it's a watered kind of like almost a gesture of eh, look we took care of it for you and i think that's the most galling thing because it just it's indicative to me of the way that so many of the authorities uh of the way that club boards even potentially um and other people see and treat the fans. Yeah, but I think I think in the same token, 
Celtic and Rangers could turn around and say that this is them listening to their fans. Let's not have any away fans. <laughs> let's just have let's just have more of us. Do you know what I mean? Just that aspect of us versus them. Let's just cut them out. Um, but hey ho, I hope that's not the case, and I hope there will be a solution to it soon because away fans are worth it. Um, we've got some away fans coming to Hamden. We don't like them. We want to beat them and send them back to their sunny Love Island country where everything's lovely and nice and they get along. We're going to talk about that next. Football, bloody hell. Yes, everyone, Scotland begin their Euro 2024 qualifying campaign this Saturday when they welcome the visit of Cyprus to Hamden. It's a daunting group, though, for Scotland in Group A. They've got Spain, they've got Norway and Georgia, along with Cyprus, of course. Um, so how daunting is this for you guys? How daunting a group? I, I think it's daunting because there's two spots, yeah. and Spain and Norway are in this group. <laughs> that's the daunting thing. <laughs> the, the, well, actually, sorry, that's the first daunting thing. The second daunting <laughs> thing is Georgia. <laughs> and we don't like playing Georgia. They always muck up our group campaigns somewhere along the line, uh, whether it's Alex McLeish yeah. or uh, Gordon Strachan in charge. Perhaps it's different. Am I right in saying, sorry, going back to Cy- Cyprus, let's keep, am I right in saying Stephen Clark's first game was against Cyprus? Oh, you might be right. And it was the 94th or 93rd minute uh, winner uh, from Oli It was Burke. just before 90 minutes. And I think you're right. And I'm, yeah, it was a he hit, it was a oh, header. Was it? it was saved, and then it was he just tapped it in. But yeah, I think two one. It was a nervy game. Hopefully, it's not as nervy as as that because I think going by the two other teams in the group, uh, Spain and Norway, Scotland have got to look for maximum points or or just not lose any silly games. Do you think maximum points this weekend? Do you think we we have to? Uh, not this weekend, sorry, but. These next two games because we've got so Cyprus first and then it's Spain on Tuesday. I mean, how can you say maximum points against Spain? I just <laughs> don't think you can. But if, I mean, <laughs> four points would be amazing. I think uh-huh. I'm expecting three, uh, and that would be a, a decent enough start. A lot of this might come down if we manage to to see off the likes of Georgia. A lot of this is going to come down to how we do against Norway um, yeah, in both of those games. The only thing that gives me a bit of hope about Norway is, yes, they've got Haaland, yes, they've got some... Odegaard. Some, they've got Odegaard, they've got other, other good players. Elianusi, Christopher Ayer. Players we know. But they didn't qualify for the World Cup. Haaland was injured. Okay, you know, that, that, that that changes everything. Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> we've, got, we've got a good team, and we may not have world-class players but there's a decent enough squad there and they seem to be working as a team. And I think, especially going into these next two games, especially going into that Spain game uh, on Tuesday, they've got to look at their performances against Denmark, one of the one of the best Scotland performances, and, and then Ukraine at home, the most recent one in the Nations League. Um, those are two of the most exciting and inspiring performances I've seen from a Scotland team for a long time at Hamden, they they just battered both teams, and they were it was just especially Ukraine. It was relentless at halftime. It was just like chance after chance after chance. I think it was like seventy minutes by the time they got the first goal. But then once that first one went in, it was an onslaught. So 
if they've got to look at those performances as a benchmark of what they can do and what they can achieve, I'm quietly confident that Scotland are on the are in a good place and on the right track to to do to do something and perhaps even qualify from this group through the the natural uh, the natural way. <laughs> What a, what a beautiful jinx you are! After this. <laughs> so cut to cut to the summer, and you're like, I'm not going. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to the games. Finn, what are your thoughts, mate? Because there's a few interesting points leading up to this this international break. Because we we discussed Angus Gunn incoming for this weekend. There's there's also a, a couple of players coming back. A few players getting a first start potentially. Um, what are your thoughts going into this break? I, I genuinely feel quite optimistic about our prospects, not just about these two games, but over the course of the qualifying. I think Anthony's absolutely bang on. I think all we need to do is look to what this squad is capable of. And in our finest moments, like it, the Denmark game wasn't a smash and grab. Like we played them off the park. And I know it was at the end of the qualifiers and they were already safely through and everything. So yeah. there's maybe some, a little less at stake for them. But we were like, we were, that's the best I've seen Scotland play in a long time. Um, and the atmosphere of that game was amazing. I was at I was at that one. Um, but the I I don't think there's any reason for us to fear anyone. I, I I think we might still have a bit of that mental hangover of you know things like Georgia, um, or or even Norway. I remember getting cuffed under was it four 0 from Norway under the George Burley tenure. But but I think Steve Clark has worked so hard for so long to to try and chip away at that mentality and to bring us up to a place of like look, we know we're not with the best but we're at a really good level and we're comparable to a lot of these teams round about us and I know, I, it, I'd see it as a battle between ourselves and Norway for that second spot but I don't think given how we've played against Denmark, given how we've played against Ukraine in the Nations League and these other examples, I don't think we've got any reason to fear them. I know they've got you know this celebrated elite level player in, in Haaland but he's he's just one man you know and if whoever's marking him has has a great game and they can thwart thwart the threats to coming into him and things like that you know you've, you've got it's the same as any type if you're playing Wales and it was Gareth Bale in his prime or you're playing Portugal with Cristiano Ronaldo they're great teams they've got you know, maybe one or two world world class exceptional players there, but they're they're beatable. And I think, especially at Hamden, you know, maybe getting playing Spain early on in in the qualifying goes in our favour. Um, I I think the other thing is that Steve Clark, you know, has made a conscious effort to try and keep the same squad together, so he's not chopping and changing. He's bringing in guys that maybe haven't had as much first team action as he would have preferred but they're the guys that he's brought into the squad and stuck with over over a number of years and I think that counts for something um, that it, he's tried to bring in this squad mentality um, and, and staying faithful to the players that have done it it's caused problems especially we were talking about this last week with the goalkeeping issue um, and that he's not really played any other goalkeepers apart from Craig Gordon or David Marshall in the last couple of years which gives us with the, the situation now of who do you start in goal so yeah it's it's an interesting one but I, I feel confident I, I don't think four points is beyond us I think we'd have to go some to get something from the Spain game but I don't think it's impossible um, I would expect three points from Cyprus and I think it's really important to get off to a good start so yeah, I don't know. I feel confident. I think there's 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 a, a a question on a few players who really need, I think, like big performances out of this break. 
one person I think in, in, in particular, likes of Kieran Tierney, not getting a lot of game time at Arsenal and he's coming in and I think he will start. He has to show a massive performance to remind everyone just how quality a player he really is and how it's always been that difficulty and how he uh, works together with, with the captain Robertson. But I even look at Lyndon Dykes, who was recently hospitalised at QPR, but is back in the squad. And that's another thing, like you said, um, Finn, is Clark likes to keep similar players around to keep that harmony. Um, and it's just, I don't know, I think some big game players, we always look at John McGinn, but I just, I agree with, with Anthony. Cut, rule out Georgia at your own cost. They've got an absolute world beater. Kvitscha uh, Kvaratskhelia for Napoli is just unreal, guys. I, I just don't think you can discount Georgia and just think us against Norway. Um, I think he's had 23 games in the Serie A and he's been involved in 23 goals <laughs> or 22 goals. Kvitscha, well played. Kvitscha Kvaratskhelia. Who's that so again? There, there you go. Uh, absolutely amazing. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, I actually did the Serie A a couple of weeks ago Napoli game, and uh, yeah, I had a few goals at that, so I was kind of pre- prepared. <laughs> I can't speak Scottish, never mind Georgian names, but there you go. That's my take. Um, who's going to start in goals then? A heated debate in the last podcast, but Finn, what are your thoughts now after a weekend? The thing is, like, it's in terms of form, I think it's much of a muchness. Um, I mean, if we start by looking at um, the the new boy in the squad and Laura's favourite person on the planet, Angus Gunn, he's um, he missed a few games at the end of January, but he's played the last nine games consecutively for Norwich, in which they've won four, drawn three and lost two. He's kept himself three clean sheets and conceded seven goals. Um, by contrast, if we look at the other two goalkeepers in their last nine games, Liam Kelly has his motherwell team have won three, drawn two and lost four. He's kept two clean sheets but conceded 13 goals. Xander Clark at Hearts, they've won four, drawn one, lost four. Uh, he's kept four clean sheets and conceded 15. So I don't know. Like it just, I, I feel, I personally, I think he might start Xander Clark just because he's kind of, because he's the, un, he's the understudy to the Scotland number one goalkeeper anyway. Um, of the two goalkeepers, so Clark and Kelly I'm talking about now, the ones that have been in the squads before, I think Liam Kelly is the better goalkeeper. So my preference out of the two of them would be for Liam Kelly. But then looking at the three goalkeepers, I don't really know. If I'm honest, I I don't think he would have brought Angus Gunn in not to start. I think he's coming in to play. Um, there is one amazing thing about this international break is that the, the new Scotland top has also been, well, you can now buy it. But it's fucking £90, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why do they, they... It's like that thing, what is it, in um, in Sopranos, where that guy constantly does the Godfather joke. It's like, I try to get up, but they suck it back in. It's just... <laughs> I want the Scotland top, but I'm, I'm, I don't know, maybe I'll put a ticket in for a raffle. <laughs> There was a little bit of justice when it went on sale where there was a uh, meant to be a 15% discount and people were putting in the code and it was actually giving them a 30% discount. Oh my goodness. And then that was very, I think after a couple of hours, it was clocked on and it went back. Um, so if any of those listeners 15%. out there have heard my <laughs> cries um, and got two of those, 
I'll buy them on the face value of 30%. <laughs> the whole the whole launch hasn't been particularly well handled, I wouldn't say. Uh, I think, you know, everybody, no, nobody knew how much the, the top was going to cost until it was launched. And at uh, £90, I just think, is a disgraceful amount to ask any football fan to pay for a kit, let alone one that we're going to play. Is Are we going to wear it three times? Is that it? It's going to be match worn in one qualifier, one so. friendly against England, and one women's team match, and I think that's it. So I, I think that's a, an absolutely shocking amount of money. Just because this is the anniversary, but we were making the point like why why not play in it for the whole year? Yeah, why not make that our home top for a whole a whole year? Oh, I I just I don't I don't get we it. We know the answer. Oh well, to make money. No, we know the answer. Yeah. It makes it makes too much sense. Yeah. It has to be complicated. It, it just goes back once again to that thing of the fans being like an afterthought. It's like they're, they're seen as cash cows. They're not seen as loyal supporters. Even the thing is, it was interesting because you were talking about that discount code. It was supposed to be a discount code for, for Scotland Supporters Club members. But it wasn't a unique code like for each person. It was just the one blanket code. So as soon as it was leaked online, everybody could jump in. And even that is like, you know, these fans that have been following... Scotland home and away spending thousands and all of their available um, annual leave to go to these games and stuff like that and even then they don't they don't get um, get to take advantage of that with what was probably a decent gesture even though I think you were 30 pounds off what, 60 quid is just uh, that's a lot of money I don't know I, I think I'd, I'd maybe go to 60 to be fair I think that's probably my limit would you I, I think I've stopped buying football tops at the time they go on sale because in like nine months, it'll be 30 quid yeah, or 25 quid. It's just, I mean, everything is just overpriced at the moment, isn't it? And actually, people were were mentioning that, yeah, 90 pounds, I think that's quite similar to what Man United sell their new home tops for when they come out. The, the thought of it, 70 pounds for a kid's top. It's just, that ain't right. Especially at this time, we're going through a cost of living crisis. Yeah, that's not right. To to ask people to pay £90 for a shirt that the team is only going to be wearing for a few games. Yeah, exactly. And everyone's just trying to make money as, as much as they can. And that, it, it's just not a good look, is it? You think I'm going to answer a stupid question like that? Well, look, guys, that is it for another episode. Happy days. Um, I have to say my thanks to Finlay Marks, a.k.a. Helen Lovejoy from The Simpsons. What somebody think of the fan? Uh, <laughs> that's what you've been like all the last hour. Um, and Adri Joseph, top man, good to see you again. Thanks to you, listeners. We appreciate you. But if you do hate us, or if you do like us, you can tweet us at the at TSFS podcast. And uh, that is us for another week. Uh, Go and listen to something else now. Bye.